State of the Division in the National League East for September 7th. A very sad day for me. This is Brian Fickleside, Managing Editor at Just Baseball. Got Aram Layden, our co-founder here. And for the first time since April uh, 11th or 12th, I believe, we can do this show and the Mets are not in sole position of first place in this division. You've been waiting a long time for this, Aram. Uh, I mean, look, Braves were my preseason pick. I thought it was pretty much done, right? I thought there was no chance that the Braves could get back into this thing. And uh, here they are. I I will say, it's not like the Mets are collapsing or playing poorly. I know we're going to talk about Max Scherzer getting hurt and all that stuff, but it's it's not like this is a disaster for the Mets. I understand the implications, and we've talked about how how important it is to win the NLE. So I get it from that lens. But I, I do think Mets fans are are a little bit uh, hysterical with this because they're playing well. Um, the Braves are just playing better, man. And all you can do is control what's in front of you. Here's what I'll say as the resident Mets guy. It's just... It's that feeling of everyone in class laughing at you. And, and I'll give you an example. Bob Nightingale tweets this out today. The Washington Nationals and Pittsburgh Pirates have a combined 98 and 172 record and have been outscored by a whopping 406 runs. In the last three games, the Mets uh, have been outscored 22 to four. They've gone 0 and 3 and they've fallen out of sole possession of first place in the NL East. It's combining a bunch of numbers to make the Mets look worse than they are. Yeah. And it really is just three games and a three game sample in baseball is nothing. And I'm really not panicking too much, but it's just that frustration of everyone's pointing again and saying, here's another Mets collapse. And it's, it feels like here's another year of it, but I will say compared to last season, two completely different ball clubs, this Mets team will make the playoffs. And really it's just the Braves have been so freaking good that they've chased down this Mets team. It's I think it's more credit to the Braves. A hundred percent against the Mets. hundred percent. But what have you seen over the last three games? Cause I mean, it, it is pretty surprising to see them struggle against, you know, such poor teams, but again, three game sample size, anybody can struggle. Uh, but you know, they do lose seven to one, seven to one, two to eight or set eight to two to the nationals and the pirates. Um, Obviously, Patrick Corbin having his start of the season against you is is not great. Uh, but again, like I, I'm expecting the Mets to bounce right back. They've got a, a doubleheader what, coming up against the Pirates where they'll probably take care of business. Then they have the Marlins. Then they have the Cubs. Then they have the Pirates. Like I think they'll be just fine uh, and they'll shake out of this thing. But what have you seen over the last three games from this Mets team? Well, it's interesting you, you talk about the doubleheader today because it's Bassett and DeGrom today. So as people are listening to this, the Mets could sweep the doubleheader and be right back in first place. But what I've noticed, for one, you come off of that series last week where you beat the Dodgers, and that was a, a playoff atmosphere. Right. Uh, and you go from that to the Nationals coming into town. And the Mets win the first game of that series, but the second game, Scherzer exits his start. And so you have that that happens in the middle. Patrick Corbin as much as we want to joke about it, he really did have a good game. Like, yeah, he's capable of doing so. Like that's people pretend like he wasn't once a very, very solid pitcher in this game. He got 80 million for a reason. Exactly. And you know what? It goes along the same lines and say Eric Fetty threw a good game on Sunday, but he did. And so the Mets drop a couple to the nationals and the offense has been bad. That's been a bigger issue that Pete Alonso has really struggled lately. Lindor has as well. And that's been really what has coincided with this 
slight, you know, drop off in production from this Mets team. And since Louis Guillaume went on the IL, uh, the Mets are 10 and 11. I don't think that is as much about Guillaume, but more it's just how Guillaume makes all the other pieces fit. Uh, just being a quality left-handed bat in that lineup, grinding out at bats. I think he just helps the guys around him. And defensively, he has been such a good boost to this Mets team as well. So I, I think there's a lot that has gone into it. But yeah, over the last 21 games, this Mets team has played sub-500 baseball just slightly, but compared to what they've done this season, that has been a big drop-off. I, I also misspoke. Patrick Corbin, $140 million. Um, So, I mean, again, kind of makes a point that he he was very good at one point. Uh, a couple guys, though, that have, have struggled for for the Mets that I think has been a bit of the issue offensively. Pete Alonzo over the last couple weeks has not looked like Pete Alonzo. Nobody's sounding the alarms, but I mean, you you got to look at that when you're when you're considering this Mets team. And this was something I was a bit afraid of because again, we're splitting hairs here. This is one of the best teams in baseball. I don't want this to be misconstrued. But when we are looking at World Series and and how can you poke a hole in each team? My one issue, and I've talked about this with the Mets, is, you know, who can leave the yard at any moment? And they've got a few guys that can do that. But when you get to the postseason, it's all about that one swing, that one game-changing swing, because it's so hard to string together several hits when you're facing top three pitcher in a rotation. You're also facing pitchers on short leashes, so they're not going to leave guys in to continue to give up back-to-back-to-back-to-back hits. And just in today's game, it's harder to string together consecutive hits. Alonzo is your guy to leave the yard at any moment, and he has not been doing that as much. And I think we're kind of seeing what happens when Pete Alonzo struggles. I'm not putting the entire blame on him because there's been other guys struggling. Lindor has been poor as well over the last two weeks. But I do think when those two guys uh, are not able to kind of pack that punch in the middle of your order, uh, you can kind of feel it from top to bottom with the Mets because they got to string together hits with McNeil, Marte. All those guys have to consecutively basically put together base hits to get on the board. Yeah, I think yesterday's game is a great example. I believe in the first three innings, Pete Alonso hit into two inning-inning double plays, straining mm-hmm. three or four runners. So that's what happens there. And Alonzo, uh, he can go through funks, but the difference is earlier in the season when he went through stretches and Lindor as well, even when they weren't producing – they would still draw their walks. They would still cash in RBI spots. So their overall numbers might not have been great, but they were still being productive. And we've seen that production really drop off the last couple of weeks. So I think that's been really huge for this Mets team. And I I think when you're talking about leaving the yard, I think when I look at the Mets, if they don't get where they want to go this season, there's going to be two things that will stand out to me. And it's not, not trading for Wilson Contreras at the deadline, because I think, they did try to address that need, but the two things that stand out, one, it's going to be not addressing their bullpen at the deadline, but offensively, it's going to be not promoting Mark Vientos a month before the deadline. They let yeah. a month go by where they gave J.D. Davis everyday playing time. That did not boost his trade value at all or anything. It did not help the Mets, and he was struggling. Mark Vientos was hitting well in AAA. They should have given him a chance to see if he could have been their DH because if Vientos comes up, in June, hits the ground running. Now you have another guy in that lineup that can leave the yard at any time. Already on the 40-man too, right? Yeah. Like this isn't like he wasn't on the 40-man. And you have a chance to see what he can do, get him a taste up there. If it doesn't work, you send him back down. He'll be okay. Uh, this is a guy that can really hit. He's weathered some slumps in the past and has really been fantastic. Oh, Since basically you first started talking about him potentially getting called up. And I can understand the desire to to go with a vet. And Darren Ruff has had some 
huge hits over the last year, especially with San Francisco last year. He was clutch. He's a lefty killer. The Mets needed a lefty killer. I don't think Vientos is as much of a split sky. So I get it from that lens. But the ceiling of Vientos here, uh, you know, could have given you a lot more. At least try it. And if you tried yeah. it in June and he struggles, then you go make the trade for Darren Ruff, right? Like, then you go make the move. Uh, if you could have addressed it eternally, internally first, I think that could have been the option. But uh, the good news for the Mets is, you know, he could probably he probably will break camp with them next year. We'll see where he fits in exactly. I think he could end up being the DH for the Mets next year, uh, or at least get a chance to be or platoon and move around. He could play a subpar left. He could play first. He could play a subpar third, but passable there. Um, and that's going to be a big power bat for them that they really need. Uh, but for now, they're going to really have to rely on Alonzo turning it around, which I think he will. And Lindor turning it around, which I think he will. Uh, and I know those guys bring other value, but their most important thing right now, I think for this team is, is, to run into baseballs because you know, the Mets are going to pitch when their guys are healthy. Uh, but that also is a big caveat too. And that's been our concern all year long is can DeGrom and Scherzer stay healthy. Yeah. That, that kind of leads me to the latest article I wrote for, for us at just baseball.com here, which is that, you know, the injuries have hampered what's otherwise been a Cy Young caliber season for Max Scherzer and just going through the numbers here in his first 20 starts in a Mets uniform, he's pitching to a two, two, six ERA. 153 strikeouts and 127 and two thirds. This would be the lowest ERA in Max Scherzer's Hall of Fame career if he's to maintain it, which is just insane. And then you look at his walk rate, lowest of his career, second lowest, excuse me, at 1.62 per nine home run rate, lowest of his career. So he is pitching at a level that, you know, we've we've seen him you know do before, but even better in some respects. And if you were to look at his numbers compared to the other Cy Young candidates, if he had been healthy, you're looking at an F4 right now that would probably be at 5.5. And his strikeouts, he might be the leaderboard there, and he could be leading the league in ERA. So my point is, when he's been on the mound, he's been pitching like the best pitcher in the National League, or at least a, a top three pitcher for sure. The problem is, he's missed seven turns in the rotation already, about to miss two more, and it's an oblique injury. Now, he missed six weeks the first time. They're playing it cautious, which is smart. But you know, like an oblique, he's not, not. going to be 100% this season. And we saw him fatigued in the postseason last year. And I mean, he's older, right? I mean, this is, he's not a spring chicken anymore. We know When he's up on the mound and he's competing, he's good. But, you know, he, he's worn down a little bit. I think this was a, the right time to do it. Get him yeah. right. It's more precautionary, like you said. And assume that he can get back and, and kind of be – ready to go for the postseason and make a final push and then just rest all off season. And I think next year, the Mets have to look at it probably as a situation where you're skipping Scherzer in the rotation every, every month or maybe every six weeks and preserving those innings, keeping him at the 130, 150 range. And uh, for a team that, uh, you know, is, is as talented as they are and focused on the postseason, I think that's the best approach. And they're probably going to have to go get another starting pitcher to kind of not have to rely on, on Scherzer as much. And we'll see what they even do with DeGrom, obviously, coming up soon. That should be very interesting as well. Uh, but those two at the top, you know, that stacks up with anybody. Uh, but I will say with the Braves have kind of coming together here at the, at the top of their rotation is is getting pretty scary with the emergence of Spencer Strider because you talk about some of the best pitchers in the National League and Scherzer being one of them. If you look since the All-Star break, yeah. there's few pitchers better than Spencer Strider. Uh, and if you even want to narrow it down to his last four starts, Spencer Strider's allowed three earned runs in his last 25 innings. He's punched out 36 and he's walked four. I'm trusting this guy 
game two of the yeah. postseason. I, I am. I'm trusting him game two. Max Free takes game one. Strider takes game two. Historically speaking, career-wise also, that doesn't stack up to DeGrom Scherzer, but I think those two can go toe-for-toe toe with those guys if they're on in the postseason, and, and it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about you know the emergence of Spencer Strider and the, what that has done for this Braves team. It really has taken them to a whole nother level, and you know they're going to get Mike Soroka back. We were talking too. I don't know if Soroka necessarily cracks a playoff rotation, uh, but you imagine that he can at least throw some innings somewhere in the mix for that Braves team c- come October. And in the meantime, get some starts to help them win this division. I mean, the Braves are getting stronger and the Mets seem to be going through a period here where they're trying to just get to the end of the season and, and hold on. So Soroka's last rehab start, he pitched in AAA against Jacksonville, Jumbo Shrimp, Marlins affiliate. He went four innings, one hit, no walks, no runs, five Ks. Fastball sat in the low 90s, touching the mid 90s. Soroka is is a get ground balls guy. He can also rack up the strikeouts when he's on and uh, I think he's going to help them down the stretch of this final month here as well, whether in, in a swingman role. And then in the postseason, like you said, I mean, if, if you have a situation where your starters bounced early, it's a short leash uh, that we see in the postseason all the time. It doesn't mean the game's over. You'll see guys get pulled, you know, when they walk two in a 2-0 game in the third inning. Soroka can come in and bridge that gap for you. No problem. Uh, and he looks really solid. Uh, this is a huge addition for the Braves. And they've got Ozzy Albies coming as well, who should be back in the next, I don't know exactly when, but week or two, I believe, was the uh, presumptive timeline. Uh, that's the scary part about this is it seems like the Mets are subtracting and the Braves are adding uh, right as they are evening up with New York in the standings. You you add Soroka and Albies, and it's hard to not start to look at these two teams. Like, yeah, maybe the Braves are the better team just simply because I think, especially over the last couple of months, these teams really have been playing to close to a draw, if not the Braves being better after their slow start. And now you add in two guys that, you know, could be all-star performers over the next couple of years. So yeah, the Braves are looking like the team that is just hitting the, the, the ground or they have everything coming together at the right time. Uh, to make it a, a run, not only to win this division, but make it deep run in October. I think the Mets might find themselves in a position as crazy as it is to say, where they almost, we'll see how it goes, but are willing to concede the division if it means keeping DeGrom and Scherzer as healthy as possible, because that's going to be their trump card come October. Here's the thing, and I want to make one comment on the Braves bullpen, but you just brought up a great point. If I'm the Mets, I feel like at full strength, I can beat anybody. Yeah. And we just saw that at City Field against the Dodgers. Obviously, you don't want to play the Dodgers. But at the end of the day, you got to beat the best to win it all. And that's the plan uh, all along for, for this Mets team. And it's not like playing somebody else in that NLCS or, or getting to the NLCS is going to be easy. I, I look at what would happen if they fall out of the division and, and end up taking the wild card. The Mets are such a heavy favorite, right? In a three-game set at home where they yeah. get to throw two Hall of Famers. I, I mean, you feel pretty good about that. Then you get to the Dodgers, which is going to be hard. It's going to be hard, of course, but they just went right at the at the Dodgers and took care of business in a playoff atmosphere. The Dodgers gave them their best punch, too. Of, trust me. I mean, that, that was an intense series, 
And we saw the Mets are capable of, of going right there with them and going blow for blow with the best team in baseball. So if, if that's what it takes, I agree. I'd rather be healthy, not rushers or back and, and really focus on that series. That could really be the, the quote unquote, you know, world series there. Um, and then we'll see, how, you know, I mean, the Astros will be tough as well, assuming they, that's who makes it out of the American league. But I mean, that's the best team to beat right there is the Dodgers. You got to do it eventually. And, uh, you know, I think I think that's got to be the way that they look at it. One last thing with the Braves, they did address the bullpen. Um, yeah. And Rizel Iglesias has looked like that, you know, four year, whatever, 40, whatever million or 60, whatever they gave him. It was, it was 58, $58 million. Dollar deal. He looks like a multi-year reliever, whatever it was. He looks <laughs> like the highest paid reliever. And uh, he, he was he was struggling in, in L.A. Uh, with, with the Angels. And I think it was a bit of the, you know, going stale on a bad team and try to be a closer on a bad team. His last 13 outings, he surrendered one earned run um, and he's struck out 11 while walking three. He's not even a closer right now. Kenley Jansen has been closing games. He's been a bit iffy. If they want to sw- flip flop those two, yeah. they can do that. Uh, this bullpen is really good. Uh, and Rizal Iglesias is, is going to be, I think, a big X factor in the postseason. Yeah, this Braves team just looks so <laughs> ready-made. It's crazy to think that they won a World Series last year. And if you just compare the team last year to the team this year, I think this, this so this much team, better. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. Like swap out Duvall for Michael Harris, you know, like, and then you swap out whoever else in the infield for Vaughn Grissom, like, Dansby Swanson for Dansby Swanson because this version of Dansby Swanson is so much better adding William Contreras adding Strider yeah I mean the team is exponentially better Uh, but another team that's much better than it was last year is the Phillies and we've talked about them and uh, one thing I want to I want to hit on here that I think is a big game changer for them is the way Ranger Suarez has been pitching it's it's crazy you say that because I was just I was just gonna say I was writing this year's article and I was looking at pitchers who had the lowest ERA with 200 innings pitched since 2021 it's Scherzer and Suarez in all of baseball. Suarez number two. He was spectacular last season. Struggled in the beginning of this season. People thought maybe okay, it was it was a bit of a fluke last year. Doesn't look like it. He's right back to being Ranger Suarez as of late. And I, I don't know if I trust him in the postseason, but we're gonna have to find out, right? Because yeah. he's earned that opportunity and he's looked really good. Uh, Wheeler is concerning. I'm at the point now where I'm starting to get a little worried about Wheeler. Noah's had a couple iffy outings as of late, but I'm not really worried about Noah. He's he's proven over the course of the year that you know he is an an ace. I think this season and even through those struggles, five starts, he struck out 43 and walked four. Um, but I'm a little worried about Wheeler, man. Uh, he just has not looked good. And you look at his last three starts, five seven one ERA, and he's only gone 17 innings. If Wheeler's not there, if he's struggling, this Phillies team's in trouble. I We know the offense is good. Harper's back. Everything's going to be fine there. All other guys have been swinging it pretty well. But pitching-wise, if Wheeler's not Zach Wheeler, top 10 Cy Young finalist, and he hasn't been that this year, I think they're in big trouble. You're not starting Suarez over him in game two. You're just not doing it. Um, and – it's hard to feel confident in what Zach Wheeler has been doing right now. Well, the thing with Zach Wheeler is he has thrown a lot of innings since becoming a Philly. I mean, he has taken the ball every fifth day uh, and he has gone deep in a lot of games, but he also has kind of changed himself as a pitcher. Now, instead of being maybe more of a high strikeout guy that he was with the Mets, he's pitching to contact more. So if you throw in fatigue with a guy that's trying to pitch to contact, 
he might get some more loud contact. And that's and, what's happening. And that's what's happening to him. So I, I think that he's still a good enough pitcher that, you know, maybe they skip him. Right, let's just say that they are, are looking down the stretch of the season and the wild cards in hand. Maybe they can give him a little bit of a rest heading into the playoffs. And that could help. But yeah, if they're going to make it out of a wild card series, and let's just say it's either it could be Mets Phillies, it could be Braves Phillies. For all we know, in that wild card round, they're going to need all three of their starters at their best to beat one of these really great teams. And the offense is going to have to click on all cylinders. But you know, we we haven't really been given any reason to believe that the offense isn't capable of doing so. I mean, yeah. the way Real Muto has hit over the last thirty days, the way Stott has hit over the last 30 days, both hitting over 300, both with OPSs you know, well over 800. Uh, Gene Segura back, big walk-off hit yesterday against the Marlins who literally gifted a victory to the Phillies. But Segura being back is huge for them as well. Uh, and you, you just know Schwarber is going to get hot. Yeah. And if Schwarber gets hot, he can he can put them on his back in the postseason. So, you know, this Phillies team, we've talked about it. They're good. They're weird. They're hard to peg. But, you know, my, my biggest concern, my biggest X factor with them, I think, at this point is is Zach Wheeler and how they manage that. But I, I'm feeling more and more confident in the fact that they can kind of cruise to that wild card. Even the Padres. I mean, the Padres just don't look great right now. They pulled off a walk-off victory, Jorge Alfaro, uh, with another, his fourth walk-off of the year. But I just, they, they just don't look good, man. I mean, that, that oh. team, the pitching has been iffy. Uh, the the offense has been spotty. Like, it, it's really hard to, to look at that. Padres team right now and say that they're scarier than the, the Phillies. I, I don't know if you can say that. You can't say that. And also for them to fall out of the playoffs, it would have to be the Brewers. And I don't think anyone's really confident that this Brewers team can, can make a run down the stretch at a wild card. They're Not just... with the way Corbin Burns is looking right now. No way. So I think we, we've uh, seen the playoff race change a bit with the fact that the Mets and Braves are now even, but it's the same story I've had all year. There's the top two teams in this division and the Phillies are a wild card team. Let's spotlight a couple of good performers on bad teams to close out the show today. And uh, Jesus Lazardo has certainly been that for this Marlins team. 100%, man. And, and, and I'm really happy for Jesus because he's an awesome guy, yeah. first and foremost, just a really good human being. And, you know, it's been frustrating for him. His whole journey has been pretty wild. I mean, traded for Sean Doolittle from the Nationals, who were going all in to win a World Series. And they won the World Series large, largely in part because of Sean Doolittle. But this guy was a top five or six prospect in baseball for several years after being a high draft pick because of how dominant he was through the minors fast track to the big leagues pitches in two postseasons uh, in his first two years. And then, you know, injuries, inconsistency with command. He really struggled in Oakland and it's Oakland uh, gets traded for Starling Marte over to Miami, where he's from South Florida area, Parkland to be specific. And the Marlins, if they can do one thing, it's develop pitchers. And they have worked with him, and he has worked hard, and he looks spectacular. Health dependent, he has missed some time on the IL this year, but he looks like a number three at the very worst. And that is a very awesome development for him and for the Marlins because I think they can look now, which they've talked about, and say, hey, maybe we look to trade one of our arms this offseason. But Lizardo specifically, he struck out nine Phillies last night, including Bryce Harper three times. He should have won that outing, but of course the Marlins, you know, did everything that they wanted to, they could do in their power to lose it. You look at his last six starts: a two eight two ERA, a two seven seven FIP, thirty six strikeouts, eleven walks. I think Lizardo has really blossomed into a middle of the rotation starter who's going to show you flashes of a bit more than that. Uh, and and I think he's going to be a problem in the NL East for a while. 
I, when he's on, he he's as nasty as anybody. You know, there's obviously when you're talking about the top pitching prospects the Marlins have, they have a lot of guys that are promising, but I'm curious, obviously we know who the ace is of this staff for the future right now, but it is Lazardo that second guy when you're talking about who's going to be in that rotation for the next five years. Is he the guy you're most confident in right now? If healthy, you know, like again, health to the wayside, uh, which, you know, it's just because it's so impossible. Any pitcher can get hurt. I, I think so. I, I, when I look at you know, who's grabbing the ball other than Sandy right now, I feel most confident that Lazardo is going to give you a quality start. Um, and also the fact that he's a lefty, he's kind of overtaken Trevor Rogers, uh, who struggled yeah. this year, did have a good start last time out. Yeah. I would say Lazardo is my second most confident guy. I, I feel good about it. Edward Cabrera's looks really good. Pablo Lopez has kind of bounced back after a slow, you know, a slow second half or starts the second half. Uh, but right now, I feel best every time Lazardo takes the ball. Um, and, and I think that's saying a lot because there's some good arms in this rotation. If only the Marlins shelled out after making the trade and signed Starling Marte too, and it would be just an incredible transaction. That would have been the all-time move. But of course, uh, they'd rather shell that money out for Jorge Soler and Avi Garcia. Those guys yeah. have been pretty good. I want to give one Marlins stat real quick though. Um, as a team in the second half, negative 1.1 F4. So as a team, they're one win below replacement. They're the only team in Major League Baseball with a negative F4 in the second half. A 68 WRC plus in the second half is the worst in baseball. A 206 batting average is the worst in baseball. Um, They are horrible. And they are going all out in the tank for what will be our first year of the draft lottery. So I'm kind of in on the tank at this point. You know, as someone that's still like kind of roots for the Marlins, like I'm in on the tank. You might as well at this point. Play the rookie, see what happens. Lewis Brinson in three games has accumulated a 0.4 F4. That would be second most on the Marlins in the second half on the entire ball club. So, you know, that kind of tells you everything you need to know there. Uh, but the Nationals, we'll wrap up with them. They are going to be impossible to catch in the reverse standings here as I look at tankathon.com. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're looking like that uh that top lottery team there the uh the Knicks uh or maybe the Kings uh, of the the MLB right now. Uh Lane Thomas though, I, I've been joking with you. I mean, I've got to talk about this guy, right? I mean, and how about how about Joey Manessis too? Joey Manessis. <laughs> Joey Manessis last 25 games. 358, 387, 575, five homers. I don't know what game. I, I don't know if it was the Padres. Bro- there was some broad. It wouldn't have been the Padres broadcast. There was some broadcast though that put up Joey Manessis's numbers next to Juan Soto since the trade and how he's been better. I don't know if you saw it, but it was hilarious. Oh, no, it's I like- did not see that. That is really funny. <laughs> I will say this: the Nationals' offense has been a lot better. As it has, there's been. there's been a lot of of reason for you know I wouldn't say optimism, but like glimmers of of positivity. Hebert Ruiz, it was a rough start for him. Obviously, one of the pieces they got back in the Scherzer, Trey Turner deal, one of the top prospects in baseball not long ago, switch hitting catcher, really talented, has been great. You know, you look at his last month, he's hitting 287, 800 OPS, three homers, walking almost as much as he strikes out. Like, that's what you're supposed to get with Kiebert Ruiz. He's looked much better. Lane Thomas, as you mentioned, looks like a potential piece for them in the outfield. He's been great all year long. Um, Some of the youngsters have been starting to come together here. And, you know, C.J. Abrams is starting to show flashes, and he's getting important ABs under his belt. Luis Garcia has looked really solid. This team, they're not good. Um, They have a lot that they need to still put together here, but at least you're seeing some of the younger pieces uh, hit instead of just watching all of those, you know, rentals 
like Yadiel Hernandez, you know, taking up ABs and putting a mid 700s OPS up. And you're like, okay, what do I have to look forward to here? Like you're seeing things to look forward to also in the minor leagues. Some of their top prospects are, are, are really starting to hit their stride. I'm, you know, you say all that, you talk about the veterans. I was actually just looking up. I'm like, wait a minute. Is Nelson Cruz on ice? What happened to him? I think he's age finally caught up, huh? They just they just put him on the bench now. I guess it looks like. I was yeah, I mean at this point you want to you might yeah. as well give the youngsters abs right. Like yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you might as well. But <laughs> one last guy I want to highlight because he's kind of uh, a big part of my childhood. Uh, first no hitter I ever saw, Anibal Sanchez. He you turned bet. in a quality start the other day. He's got a one seven one ERA over his last five starts. That's I love cool. that. He's the last active player from the 2006 Marlins, 2007 Marlins. So I, I'm, I'm besides Miguel Cabrera. Uh, I think it was besides Miguel Cabrera. He's the last active Marlin from the 2016 because then Miggy was traded right after, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, you know, th- this team's not not good pitching wise. That's where they need to really figure it out. Kate Cavalli goes to the IL. That stinks. Um, so, you know, they, they've got a lot to figure out there. But the reliever arms have been good. Uh, Corbin showing signs of life and uh, Anibal Sanchez turning back the clock. Uh, hopefully they can win some games and fall out of the top spot there in Tankathon. When you mentioned the 2006 Marlins, that is some offseason content people can look forward to. Because as two guys from South Florida, you say 2006 Marlins. I'm looking at a roster right now that had Jeremy Hermida, Alfredo Amezaga, and I just want to talk about some old school Marlins out here. I can't wait. I can't wait because the 2005 Marlins, I will maintain it, is one of the best teams in franchise history. I think it might be on paper the best team in franchise history besides 97. Was that the infield? The infield with all the homers? That was 2008, actually. Oh, 2005 okay. was like an iteration of the World Series team almost. They had Paulo Duca, Carlos Delgado, Luis Castillo, Alex Gonzalez, Mike wow. Lowell, Miguel Cabrera, Juan Pierre, Juan Encarnacion, Jeff Conine, Lenny Harris, a young Hermita there. And then pitching, they had Dontrell Willis, AJ Burnett, Josh Beckett, Al Leiter, Jason Vargas. That team should have won. That team should have won more than 83 games. I will maintain that till the day I die. We will discuss that more when this season is over. That was your state of the division uh, for the National League East. Make sure you're checking out our podcast feed and our YouTube channel for all the future episodes as we finish off this season here. Check out all the written content we got at JustBaseball.com.